0: But it is our JLA family. I am Angela Birdsong, your conversation piece host on Radio Justice LA morning wake-up call at radiojustice.org. Where something new or unusual to talk about for stimulating conversation for you while staying safe at home or masked on the bus, train, plane, or social distancing in line for essentials only. Today on Conversation Peace, women on the front lines of COVID-19 with photojournalist Desiree James, capturing scenes of despair and wealth in Atlanta, and later my friend Andrea Camarota, a chaplain in a local Los Angeles emergency room. These women are in the midst of the coronavirus. Welcome to Conversation Peace. With me is photojournalist Desiree James, who has been documenting Atlanta during the COVID-19 crisis. Desiree James, welcome to Radio Justice.
1: Hello, and how are you today?
0: I am well today. I'm, I'm, I'm pretty good. Now, how's everything going in Atlanta um, during this pandemic?
1: Um, right about now... Um, big fears are being heightened uh, because uh, as everyone knows or most people know that our governor has decided to um, open up certain places of uh, businesses right now and um, you know I am in the medical field so so far my job has not uh, said anything about us coming back but um, the concern is you know people the people that they are opening up or decided to uh, allow to open up are businesses that are not necessarily operating uh, six feet apart from each other. So, um, in fact, I saw uh, some footage the other day where uh, someone was getting their hair cut and the barber had a face mask on, but the person that was getting their hair cut did not, and that was that was a concern of mine because I mean, why would you not, <laughs> you know? So, so yeah, yeah a, lot, a lot of stuff, that's the latest, you know, right now that's going on,
0: right? And the yeah, so, Governor Kemp has opened up some what most would consider non essential businesses mm-hmm. barbershops, hair salons,
1: bowling alleys, yeah. Tattoo parlors and, uh, you know, uh, gyms. I don't know if you said gym, but yeah. Oh, my the gym gyms actually. also? Your gym is open too? Yeah. My gym is open, but I think um, LA Fitness refused to do it. I mean, I don't know if it's all LA Fitnesses, but my gym definitely. And I, I to be honest with you. I have a treadmill. I have a leg extension machine in my garage. I have a punching bag. So I, I'm really thinking about just um, canceling all the jobs. And because I can do, I mean, I've been working out pretty much every day, so. Yeah.
0: Right, <laughs> right. Yeah, during the pandemic, we realized uh, some things that we were spending our money on is not necessary. Not anymore. necessary
1: at all. My mother is 81 years old, and she would religiously go get her nails done, her hair done. And my mother is actually a retired teacher, but she also was a beautician. So she's been doing her hair. And she's also been doing her nails, so you know. Right. I, I say kudos to that because I know I wouldn't want my mother. You know. Um, you know she's at risk. And she's she's eighty one, but she looks great. But still, you know, I'm just glad she's being smart.
0: Yes, and that's exactly what what we have to do. We have to be smart in this. If our civic leaders are making um, those type of decisions, like Governor Brian Kemp of Georgia. Stay put. If, if everybody in Georgia stay put, stay home, stay okay. masked. If you have to go out, put your mask on. If your job opens back up, wear your mask to work. And absolutely, and yes, most definitely. Now, your photo journaling. I watched your videos. I saw your pictures. Mm-hmm. The videos are powerful, and so I, and it's a side of Atlanta that I have never seen before I've been to Atlanta I have family that live there and I've I've never I, I've never seen the homeless situation in Atlanta and how you juxtapose the socioeconomic statuses of mm-hmm. Atlanta mm-hmm. And the COVID public uh, service announcements, signs, Uh you know, they're saying, you know, rise up, we'll get this together. And then you show um, a homeless person sleeping um, next to a building or on an abandoned um, house or Mm -hmm. walking around nude or partially nude. And and that doesn't, you know, that's a starking difference between what the public (coughs) service signs are saying and, and the wealth that you see in Atlanta, yeah. Your videos are powerful. What led you to do this?
1: Well, because, you know, on a normal work day, you know, I would pass people up and, and I would see it. But, you know, now that I have all this time available, you know, I, like I was telling you earlier, I mean, I work out because I want to, in, in, in light of all that's happening, I want to make sure that I'm taking care of myself. But I also felt like, you know, this is the time to to help somebody, you know. I don't like seeing people hurt, okay. Um, it bothers me. I know how I feel after not having something to eat for three hours, you know. So I can't imagine, uh, you know, seeing people, you know, and, and, and let's, let's face it, a lot of these people have other issues. You know, I'm sure there's a lot of drugs involved. There's a lot of uh, probably, you know, abuse, um, you know, that might have led them to be on the streets. You know, we don't know the whole story, but it's not, as far as I'm concerned, when you see people hurting, you don't have time to think about what happened. You just do it. And so that's why I decided not only to um, take the pictures, but uh, but the music to it because, and I tried to find some of them the most um, profound, you know, something that will, you know, uh, make people emotional about it because I think when you start putting the pictures together and putting the proper music to go along with it, it, it it's sort of, uh, you get a reaction, you know, and the reaction hopefully is, is uh, sympathy, empathy, whatever, you know, so that, you know, it, it may move you to go out there and just at least help somebody, feed somebody. Because even though the city of Atlanta is, they're doing things to help. Um, but I think what Keisha said, um, our mayor said that her, her big, you know, there's like, I think at the beginning of April, she said there were like 170 rooms available um, for isolation and quarantine. Uh, meals were being given, uh there were some tests being done by um the Georgia Department of Health. But I think her biggest challenge is uh is is the ability to isolate them uh if they if they test positive for COVID.
0: And this is um 170 rooms for for the homeless or for, yes. okay for the homeless.
1: For the homeless, uh-huh Okay. And that was at the beginning of April, so I'm not really sure. And I think there's other places, like if they do test positive um, or if they feel like they have the symptoms, they send them straight to Grady Memorial. Uh, but, and there's, there's other people doing things. It was just, you know, this is what I know right now. But from what I've read, there's other people like the Atlanta Mission Centers and, and other places that are doing things to help them.
0: So that's good, uh, Mayor Keisha Lance Bottoms of of Atlanta uh-huh. right. was proactive in making sure that those who don't have a place to go have somewhere to go if they um, if they if they're finding themselves with symptoms.
1: Right. Exactly.
0: Right. And and,
1: and for the, and for people that you know, I think in general, um, you know, she's trying to. Kind of help them, you know, you know, homeless people in general. But yes, uh, there are there are some 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 uh, areas where, like like I said, if they have the symptoms, then she's she's proactive in trying to get them to Grady Memorial.
0: Now, how many hospitals are in the Atlanta area? I know, I know that's a, a huge metropolis there in the yeah. south.
1: Um, I know, I know, South Fulton. They they had a, um, a a hospital, but I think that one is closed. But we have uh, we have Emory. Uh, different parts of the city have different. Uh, like there's Emory Midtown. There's um, there's other there's other areas that Emory is located, and then you have Grady. Um, you have. Uh, Northside hospital you have
0: uh st joseph it's quite a, few hospitals. Okay, quite a few quite a few quite a few now so and you're you're with your videos so you you know of course you're 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 taking pictures you're you're photographing everything and then you put it together in your in your videos what is one of your favorite shots that you you have um, <clears throat> From, you know, from, 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 from chronicling the, the COVID-19. Mm-hmm.
1: Um, uh, it, it, it's several of them. I mean, there was one in particular where right off of North side drive near the Mercedes-Benz stadium, there was a, um, I'm going to assume it was a man, but I don't know. You know, it, it could have been a woman, but they were sitting at what looked like it was an, Oh, it could have been an old bus stop, and I re- I said old bus stop because they were sitting there, and all their the, the food, their food and bags were laid out. So maybe that I'm assuming it wasn't being used anymore. But they were shielded in a red garment, okay, and 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 they were they seemed to be praying and. When you look at the image, it almost looks like like Mary, the mother of Jesus. Really, I mean, it you just the image, and everybody that looked at it saw that. Um, <clears throat> another profound one was, you know, the guy walking naked. I mean, that right there, just I mean, I, I just could not believe that I was actually seeing that. Um, and and probably, you know, mental illness could have been dementia, could have been anything. Um, Uh, There was a lady uh, near the state capitol off Memorial Drive drive just sitting at on a bench and she just had her hands folded, you know, and to me, it just looked like somebody just tired, just giving up. Um, Just people off of, you know, near the, the King Center, Auburn Avenue, Edgewood Avenue just laying there on the street, you know, just, you know, some of them next to each other, no six foot distancing, you know, so that made them even more of a risk, you know, and, uh, you know, just to see that on top of what's going on, it's just kind of troubling, especially, especially, and that's why in the video you kept seeing me going back from the corporations to, to that because you know, you've got these corporations that are asking for a bailout after three weeks. And you've been around for, for you know, years, you know. Some decades,
0: just, some for a century.
1: Yeah. Yeah, yeah, exactly. You know, so you're just trying to figure out, you know, all this money, you know, really? You can't help your the people that are actually making your company operate. So I don't know. It just gets a pretty, I don't know, it's pretty powerful and, and it's, it's alarming and, you know, it just kind of makes you rethink things once this is over, you know.
0: Right. Hopefully we will rethink things. I, I love how you, you um, photograph the, the naked man because you, you um, it was photographed with dignity. You, mm-hmm. you, you see that he's, because he's nude, he's nude, but you did it with dignity. And you did yeah. it where you, you know, where you're evoking emotion from us um as yeah. we're viewing that. And I, I think that's it's, it's just it's a beautiful, it's a beautiful um piece, that particular photograph. Mm-hmm. Because it 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 shows um, you know, I, I think when you show the, the most vulnerable in your city, mm-hmm. you start to show what the heart of the city
1: looks like and what the soul of the city is. Yeah, the the city with with, you know, that is normally around 830 in the morning and, you know, uh, 10 o'clock is, I mean, the traffic is horrible, you know, uh, versus now, you know, there were a couple of pictures where you saw no cars at all. None at the same time of day. Uh, Right, so no can, no, traffic. Your, no traffic, no traffic,
0: no traffic. And, it was
1: at, and, that, and that day it was a rainy day, so it made it a little bit it looked a little bit more uh, dramatic because you know during the rain in Atlanta, even don't, they don't necessarily drive the best. so <laughs> usually when, when it's rainy like that, you know you have stop and go traffic. So in that particular picture, you can actually see how wet it is out there, and there's no traffic.
0: Now, where can we find your, your pictures, your, your videos? I, well, I know your videos are on YouTube, because that's where I saw them. And on YouTube, it's Desiree James on, uh-huh. on YouTube. And right. on Instagram is Desi Sky 22 That's D-E-Z-I Sky 22. 22 and you're on Facebook as Desiree uh-huh. James. So that's how we can find you and view these poignant photographs and the powerful videos are on, yeah. are on your on YouTube fa- page.
1: Yeah. On Facebook, it's it's Desiree, you know, D-E-S-I-R-E-E space Des, D-E-Z and then James.
0: Okay. Okay. So yeah. that's how we find you on, on Facebook. hmm so, what's
1: next for you? Uh, a break. <laughs> <laughs> because, because, you know what, doing this stuff is, is pretty emotional. And, and right now, I think I've gotten much of what I needed to, because, you know, especially because he's trying to, our is trying to return back to normalcy here and there. So, right, right about now, you're probably gonna see more traffic. Um, you know, as far as the homeless, I think I've, you know, I think I've got enough pictures to, to make people aware of what's going on. Um, if I go back down there, I'll probably just go there to feed somebody, which, you know, once a week I'll go down there and just kind of bless somebody with food. Um, you know, just trying to, you know, I've, I'm just trying to get it out there so that people again, could be more aware. So where I'm going, you know, you never know with me because I can say that right now, honestly, um, Angela, and then tomorrow I'll be right back out there. <laughs> so, you never. and that's, and I'm going to tell you something, one thing I've learned about just being here, yes. I can really drive myself, I can really drive myself crazy because it's like, I, I, once I start something, don't, I don't know how to stop. <laughs> right, right.
0: Right. Well, one more thing, I want the audience to know that when they when they watch your videos, and the music that you selected is because you also are a disc jockey. You're a DJ. Yes. Um How how can we find your 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 podcast?
1: Okay. If you Google, okay, it's on Mixcloud.com, and but the, probably the quickest way to get to it is if you Google desert um, Skyline that's D is in Dog, E is in Edward, Z is in Zebra. S S, that's two S's, as in Sam. K-Y L I N E. Desert Skyline. If you Google that, you can start following my mixes. I and my 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 uh, my programs are pretty much jazz and soul, Uh some so uh mainly jazz. And um, you know soul music, sometimes uh, classic soul.
0: Okay, okay, and that and that's why on one of the videos where you had um, a change is going to come, and uh-huh. you had um, the two different singers. So the one that we're yeah. familiar with. So you got to help me out, DJ. Yeah, <laughs> yeah,
1: yeah, 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 yeah. The first, the first one was Sam Cook. Okay, and yeah. then I blended it. I blended it with Aretha Franklin. You right, know, because. Know, both of, you know both of those singers had some they was, they were they were soulful and so I needed to uh, get emo- some emotions into that those pictures because uh, right. you know, yeah. we all wanting a change to come you know yes we and, do um, yeah. and then uh, the other, the other videos I use a Stevie Wonder uh, song that was done 50 years ago 1970 heaven, heaven help us all. And then uh, I used a Pharaoh Sanders song. And that one kinda sorta sounded like there was a a heartbeat in it. And kind uh, trying to think what was the other one? I can't even think it was Pharaoh and Lonnie Listen Smith. Lonnie Listen Smith I think was the the very last one that I, I did. And uh, you know, those 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 artists, you know, Every time I listen to them, I just, you know, you just feel the, the soulfulness in it. And, uh, you know, I just wanted to, to, uh, you know, I wanted everyone to feel the soul of the city.
0: The soul of the city. Right. Right. Soul of the city. Yes. Right. Well, Desiree, thank you so much for, for joining me today on, on Radio Justice to let us mm-hmm. know about your photo journaling as you are Documenting COVID-19 and its effects in Atlanta, as you show mm-hmm. the wealth of Atlanta and the homelessness state in Atlanta at the same time. Um, I know you're going to get back out there.
1: <laughs> oh yeah! I can't. I can't I, wait I, to I, see I, what
0: you have next.
1: I tell you, this this personality of mine is just. I mean, my friends and my sorority sisters—they laugh. They Say yeah, you say you, you're gonna stop, and then next thing you know, you're back out there. So you know, sometimes you need to, sometimes you just need to breathe, breathe a little bit because you know, going down there is 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 real emotional, and sometimes you have to take a break from it because you know, with everything going on, it, it can be a little, a little, depressing, you know, yeah, and, a uh,
0: get a little weary. Okay, yeah, well, I want to make sure that I give out a resource to everybody. Um, if you find yourself um, getting weary or that you need to get some COVID information or whatever type of resources that you need. Um, please go to NAMI Atlanta, Auburn dot O-R-G. that's NAMI Atlanta, Auburn dot O-R-G, If you're in the Atlanta area, if you're anywhere throughout the United States, you can always go to NAMI.org and find the, um, the closest NAMI affiliate um, to you so that you can have a, a list of resources to get you through these, these tough times. You don't have to be weary by yourself. So, Desiree, thank you again for joining me today. Yes, yes. I am Angela Birdsog, and you are listening to Radio Justice Los Angeles. Next on the front lines of COVID-19 with Chaplain Andrea Camarota. Six
2: in the morning and soon as you walk through that door, everyone needs you again. The world's out of order. It's not a sound when you're not around. All day on your feet harder. Keep that energy Gee, I know when it feels like the end of the road. You don't let go. You just press forward. You're the engine that makes all things go. Always in disguise, my hero. I see a light in the dark. Smile in my face me. we all know it's hard. There's no And I don't know if this helps it, but good job you a good job a good job You're doing a good I job. am Angela Birdsong
0: conversation piece host on Radio Justice Los Angeles and with me is Andrea Camarota, a dear friend who works as a chaplain in the emergency room at a local hospital here in Los Angeles County where she is on the front lines of COVID. 19. Chaplain Andrea, welcome to RJLA.
3: Thank you Angela. Thank you for having me.
0: Yes, if, I can't even imagine what your days are like. Are they long? Uh
3: they they can be long. Uh it's definitely a different pace at the hospital right now than normal. We um we like all hospitals across I, Definitely across California and I would imagine the same in other states, we are having a strict no visitor policy that started basically at the same time as the shelter in place, pretty simultaneous to that. And so uh, that makes it very different to not have any families um, in the hospital, no families at bedside. Uh, whatsoever. Uh, it's, a, it's a big challenge um, to um, have to do everything over the phone um, and to try to support um, patients who um, are alone. Right. How long have you been a chaplain? So I've been a chaplain going on, actually, it'll be 10 years this fall. Uh, since oh, wow. I started. Yeah, I know, it's crazy. Uh, 10 years this fall since I started the, the process of my training. And at my current hospital, um, it'll be eight years in August um, that I've been at the, the same hospital.
0: Well, congratulations on that. Thank you. Right. And I yeah. know that you're, you're probably a, very, a, a huge comfort to those that you come across in your duties as a chaplain uh, what what is the role of a chaplain at, at a hospital because i i think people you know we automatically think of the last rites that a maybe a catholic mm-hmm. chaplain does but what is the role of a chaplain at a hospital
3: That's a good question. I think that it varies from hospital to hospital. I think uh, it's very different uh, the way that we do chaplaincy at our hospital uh, because we're very integrated into the uh, interdisciplinary team. So we are uh, very much knitted into the physicians, nurses, other specialists. Uh, social workers, uh, we all work together in tandem to support the patient uh, with a very uh, holistic approach, uh, you know, body, mind, and spirit. And so uh, we are definitely, uh, you know, obviously emphasizing the spirit part of it, um, seeing how people are coping, what their resources are for themselves, everybody's different. Uh, Sometimes it is um, very, um, you know, outwardly, explicitly, religious um, for people who are explicitly religious in terms of their resources, then that's the type of support that we would provide for that person. Uh, but for a lot of people, um, that's not a resource. Uh, they're not especially religious or they consider themselves um, uh, you know, spiritual, but not religious. Uh, and that's very common. These days are people who just who have no uh, religious affiliation whatsoever, and that's fine. We are uh, chaplains across the board, regardless of how they're integrated at their hospitals, um, operate in an interdenominational way. So I am while well, I am a uh, Christian chaplain. I work with all patients, uh, Muslim, Buddhist, um, Catholic. Um, you know, Catholics are Christians, definitely a very specific type of Christian. Uh, So I work with all patients of any any religion or of no religious background And it really is about helping them get back to a place of their spiritual baseline So in medicine we talk about baseline Um, What is your baseline in terms of your alertness your ability to talk and walk and all of that? Um, And we work to get patients back to their baseline if you've broken your leg But you normally are a runner. We want to get you back to running Um, So from a spiritual perspective, it's the same. Like if you're normally uh, calm and centered and um, very much uh, in charge of your life, um, but a crisis event has happened where you've gotten a terrible diagnosis or you've been in an awful motor vehicle accident um, or any number of things that uh, that bring someone to the emergency room. For me specifically, I'm in the emergency room. my initial work is trying to figure out how can I get you back to your spiritual baseline um, or close to it. It's not going to happen often in that initial encounter, uh, but we want to get to know the patient, get to know what is important to them, um, how do they normally cope, and how can, excuse me, how can we remind them of what those resources are, because resources get buried in a crisis, and so we just kind of do the work of helping (laughs) unburied, <laughs> helping get into that heap of things and get back to the, the resources that uh, they normally have very readily at hand. So uh, that's a long and short of it.
0: <laughs> right. And that, and when you said crisis, you are talking about a health crisis, not a pandemic mm-hmm. level mm-hmm. crisis. So mm-hmm. how has your role changed with the pandemic?
3: Well, I think that the the major change for with the pandemic like i mentioned earlier is that we're having to do a lot of support um not face-to-face uh which really takes away one of our one of the tools of our toolboxes is the ability to look someone in the eyes empathize Um, even social uh, distancing is something that's taken another tool away um the ability to console someone to you know put my hand on your shoulder to uh to have any sort of physical contact um, is difficult. Uh, it's difficult to console someone uh, over the phone, and um, so that it, it has it has really stretched us to try to be creative in terms of even uh, patients who are dying in the hospital, especially patients who are COVID nineteen patients. Um, they are not allowed um, any, well, no one's allowed any visitors, um, but it, if uh, if a patient, at least for the policy at our hospital, if you are actively dying or on comfort care, you know, um, at end of life, and it is not COVID-19 related, we are allowing um, two designated family members at bedside for two hours, um, and that's it. So it's a it's a two-hour window um, that they can come in and be at bedside with their dying loved one. Um, but that is not true for COVID-19 patients. COVID-19 patients, if they are dying or just period, do not have any visitors at all. And so then the, the challenge has been, how do we use technology to help the family connect somehow with this patient, uh, with their loved one, who they cannot... Touch or be near um, or um, be at their bedside. So, we've been doing a lot of um, FaceTime and Zoom and Skype calls. On the, uh, we've, our hospital has issued iPads to both our spiritual care department and to every unit to help assist with that so that we can um, connect these patients to their loved ones and at least, you know, have some semblance of. Uh, Being at bedside, even though obviously they're not, uh, it's not the same as uh, getting to um, hold your loved one's hand as they're dying. So, yeah, there's a lot of differences, a lot of ways that the pandemic, um, the crisis nature of the pandemic isn't really any different. We operate on that high level of adrenaline all the time. It's more so, like I said, these tools, these regular tools in our toolbox that have been taken away. And that we now have had to replace with uh, other things and just kind of figure it out. You know, um, a lot of thinking on our feet and a lot of um, stretching to figure out what, what, what can we do and how can we, um, how can we make this better for this family um, in some way. Um, you know, we, we can't take it away. We can't really um, um, make the entire situation better, but how can we make some aspects of it? Um, a little a little easier than um, than what they currently are because it's a it's a very difficult thing
0: so providing solace from afar is is Mm -hmm. normal with these creative
1: solutions
0: do you think once the pandemic passes that some of these new creative solutions with the technology may be implemented in your regular care
3: that's a good question um i would imagine that some of it will remain in terms of when situations come up where there's where there's a similar situation that a family maybe cannot be at bedside for some reason um maybe they're in another state or in another country um i could see us continuing to utilize these same um you know apps and technology to assist in getting families connected in that way. So, uh, so yeah, so, but you know, it's, it's really most of the time I would say for our demographic, we have, um, we serve a largely Latino population, uh, so very large families, uh, very large, large family groups and units and, uh, Typically, if a patient is on comfort care dying, um, you know they are coming in, you know, um, in droves <laughs> to be present for one another and to be at bedside. And so, to say to that family, um, you have to choose two people um, who are able to be here, and they can only be here for two hours. Uh, that's hard. <laughs> that it's been hard. really hard. It's been hard on. It's hard on the families. It's uh, certainly difficult for uh, patients uh, while they're still alert and oriented enough to know that that's what's happening. And it's hard on us. It's hard, you know, we are in the business of compassion and empathy and easing the way of our families and our patients and it's very hard on us to not be able to do that in the way that we are used to doing that it's um it's, it's been a very big challenge and it's emotionally draining in a different way than uh, my job normally is so
0: different how
3: i think that it's just uh It it takes a lot. It takes a lot more out of me, at least. I'll speak for myself, but I think my colleagues would agree. It takes a lot more out of me to to say no, (laughs) and to be sort of, in a way, we've become, um, you know, enforcers of of policy. Uh, And not that we don't normally enforce policy, but the policies that we enforce are just not as restrictive as they are right now. So it's it's hard. You know, I've I've definitely spent a lot of time. Apologizing uh, to families and, and and expressing my regret and and empathizing with their disappointment and their frustration and their anger often um, that they can't be at bedside uh, and that's a lot more taxing than saying than just you know than just being present for their sadness and uh journeying alongside them with their grief like i'm used to doing that uh, <laughs> i'm not used to saying no and i'm sorry and yes i understand and i yeah i understand this is frustrating and that's really you know i'm i i would be angry too you know there's a, just a lot of um you know it's just a different um a different position that we're having to or so a different posture is what I really mean. A uh, different posture that we're having to take with families. And we know that it's, you know, ultimately, I, I, I can justify it. I understand that it's for the greater good. It's for public safety. Uh, there's a reason why we're doing this. We're not just randomly deciding that you're not allowed to come and be with your loved one while they are passing away. Uh, so, I get it intellectually. I I can rationalize it, and, and I, I and it's it's the right thing to do. Um, so even from a moral perspective, an ethical perspective, it is the right thing to do right now. Um, but it doesn't make it any easier.
0: Right, and so you said that the family can come, you know, for a non-COVID patient. So
3: COVID Correct. patients
0: are. Completely without family while they're in the hospital, unless they are conscious and able to um, see their family member through Zoom or through Skype. Correct. Now the non-COVID patients. So you said two hours maximum. What what is their frequency? Is it? Is that ever is it two hours once a day? Um, two
3: hours. Period.
0: Period. Yeah. Oh wow! For the for the entire. entire stay? Yeah.
3: Yeah. So oftentimes it's the situation becomes, we have the family, the two designated family members come in, they have their two hour visit, but you know, the patient may not pass away during those two hours. I mean, you know, at that point they're, you know, on what we would say is God's timing in terms of, you know, when they're going to pass on and, and, and expire. And so um, so yeah, so they'll have their two hours at bedside and they'll be, um, asked to, you know, to leave at that point and we'll escort them out. And then it's just, um, checking in by phone with their bedside nurse. Um, and, you know, and, and honestly just, it becomes a waiting time. Uh, it's the same waiting time than it would be with any other patient, but normally you would be waiting with your loved one, um, and, you know, and being with them during the time um, that they're in the dying process. So that's difficult because it could be hours, it could be days um, after that two-hour window comes and goes um, until the patient passes away. And, um, and unfortunately, that's all, that's all we can do. So then the family would then be notified um, at the time of death um, over the phone.
0: My Lord. Wow.
3: Mm-hmm. Wow. Yeah. It's hard.
0: Yeah, that, that sounds very hard for, for everybody mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. involved, especially the, wow, well, yeah, and for everybody, the family, the, the, the patient, and mm-hmm. you guys having to deliver that news when the, the end has come and mm-hmm. they're not there. How do you guys, are, are, so when, when a patient does succumb to death, whether it's mm-hmm. COVID-related or not. Mm-hmm. You guys, does the, fam, does, the, does the family come back to the hospital then?
3: Uh-uh. No? No, and actually, so no, that, so it really is those two hours alone, um, then you're notified uh, via telephone uh, that your um, loved one has passed away. And um, usually we take advantage of the two hours that they are in the hospital, to go over the things that we normally go over at time of death so on a normal day, if you have a loved one who's in the hospital, you are bedside. Um, maybe you're there when they die, or maybe you're not. You get the call, you come into the hospital, you get to spend. Um, actually, the time is the same in terms of th- that two-hour window. That's that's just always what we work with. From time of death, you have two hours to be with a, a loved one, usually even, um, I, but not, not exclusively two hours. But um, anyway... Uh, and then at during those two hours, at some point, you know, we will approach with regard to um, our bereavement packet, the release of remains, uh, all those, those things that you normally have to go over with a family member uh, next of kin at time of death. So we really do try to take care of all that now during the two-hour window that they are present. And so the only thing left to do is notify them of the, of the actual uh, passing of their loved one. And so once that's done, there's, re- there's no coming back into the hospital for any reason. Um, again, the idea is that we are limiting exposure uh, to uh, both our caregivers and to the family members themselves. Uh, the hospital is the worst place to be right now uh, in terms of, you know, short of the grocery store, <laughs> <laughs> uh who you know most of them are doing a very good job this is no um i honestly some of the grocery stores are doing a really great job of doing their social distancing and everything but in terms of like exposure you know there's just a group of people who are very, very sick uh, and we're seeing a you know just a large number of patients coming in um who are who are symptomatic and that's why they're there they're there to get tested um so there's it's really not a great place to be and so it's why we're limiting um that's, it's why we have a no visitor policy. It's why for these very few exceptions, we are limiting both number and amount of time uh, in, in just a hope that you know, they can get in and out and, and be unaffected by the, their presence in the hospital. So at time of death, there's no reason to come back.
0: Do you know how many um, testing you guys do um, daily or, or weekly? And, and who is allowed to come and get tested at, at the local hospital where you're working?
3: Um, and I think this is true actually of all emergency rooms. Um, our you know, our uh, recommendation is that if you, are ha- if you are symptomatic with any of the major symptoms, you know, um, high fever, cough, shortness of breath, that you present yourself to your local emergency department and let them know, you know, that this is what you've been experiencing, how many days you've been experiencing this. And those are the markers for getting um, tested um, and you will be swabbed for COVID-19. Now, depending on the severity of your, uh, your symptoms, you, one of two things will happen. If you are, you know, if you're having mild symptoms um, like, um, just a fever um, or, you know, a shortness of breath, but at this point that see, you're, you're satting okay, your O2 sat is not terrible, then we will swab you, we will send you home with self-isolating instructions, and, um, and you are expected to go home and self-quarantine from your family members or whoever else it is that you live with. Um, now, if you are experiencing severe uh, symptoms, um, severe symptoms, uh, shortness of breath, um, um where you you know a fever that's been running for uh many days like you waited a long time to come in and so the symptoms are out of control and you need to be admitted then you will be admitted to the hospital you will you you'll be swabbed uh right now uh thankfully we are at the point where our our uh, test results are coming back usually uh, within two hours uh so we're getting results back very quickly uh, because we finally have the in-house capability to process our own, uh, COVID swabs. And, um, and then, you know, and then we'll have an answer and we'll know whether this is actually COVID-19, um, and at which point you'll be admitted onto a COVID-19 unit, um, for, um, treatment of your symptoms, or, um, if you're negative, you know, then we'll obviously go down a different diagnostic road and figure out what's going on with you, so.
0: Now your COVID 19 units are they what you guys expected? Are you guys filled to the brim or do you guys have room uh,
3: initially it was I would say the um, we're at the end of April now um, I'd say for, um, march mid march through mid april it was a little slower than we anticipated um, and then uh, it, I would say in this last in the last Week and a half, um, we've had a surge. So we went um, from maybe um, around fifty, forty-five, fifty was sort of our average in-house um, patients to um, closer to. Um, so um, closer to what? Seventy.
0: Seventy. Okay.
3: Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah. So it's um it's definitely um. Increasing, increasing, and we're hoping that this, that that number is for us at least uh, the peak or uh, approaching the peak, so that we can kind of start, you know, sliding down the other side of that curve.
0: So, are you guys uh, under staff um, as chaplains? How are your supplies? What do you guys wear? Enough? Wow. Or what?
3: Um. We've been well staffed, except the issue has become when any of us get sick with kind of anything <laughs> so for example, we've had someone who was out because um our um you know we they had a cough because of you know their seasonal allergies, you know, just the usual. Post-nasal drip and everything that you know. We're we are in the you know at the top of spring. There's pollen everywhere. <laughs> there's the the rain and the wind and the, now the hot weather that we're having. there's a typical LA cycle of um, allergy allergy season and springtime. So, but that for so for example, but that person was not allowed to come to work based based on their cough, and so that meant that we were down one person during that shift and had to figure out how to fill in for that person. Um, the same happened to another coworker who had to, who had a fever and it was totally not COVID related. It was a, you know, kind of a 24 hour thing that, um, that was connected to another, you know, uh, illness that she, um, struggles with. And, but that meant that she had to be out the entire week because that she would not be allowed back to work just based on the fact that she had a a symptom, um, for a day. And so so that's actually what's been hard for us in terms of staffing is the unpredictability. Um, You know, having you have to have full disclosure about what you're what you're experiencing health wise. And the minute you say cough, fever, you know, I mean, I could have like an asthma attack and that would that would stick me at home for a week (laughs) because I'd have to you know, I'd have you have to be non symptomatic um, for seven days before you can come back to work. Okay. Um, so that's a challenge. Um, but thankfully, uh, right now, uh, in terms of our department, we have not had any actual, uh, COVID-19, um, uh, you know, uh, employees, ha- um, that have been positive, uh, in our department. And, um, so that's been fine. And we've, uh, our hospital, and I think a lot of hospitals now, uh, at least that's in our network uh, are doing much better with PPE. Um, so we're we are able to do universal masking, which means you know, when you come in to work uh, every day, your temperature's taken, if your temperature looks fine, you're handed a, a new mask for the day and that's the mask that you wear all day. If you're on the COVID units, we have uh, a, a good supply now of both N95 masks and cappers, um, which are, um, you've probably seen them on the news, they look like a um, bicycle helmet. With a long shield that covers like all the way down to your neck yes. and that actually i actually want one of those in in real life because <laughs> it's like um i do too you <laughs> no really it's like you have your own personal supply of filtered air that's being shot out of the mask like onto your face all the time so you have like your own little like ecosystem in that in that bubble um uh, and it's battery packed. You carry the battery pack on your waist. Uh, so oh, it's wow. really pretty cool. Oh, wow. Yeah. Okay.
0: So no, I, I don't know what you're talking about then. I, I, I'm, I'm thinking <laughs> of just the, the the clear shield that comes all the way down, like, so, like, yeah. like the operating room mass or whatever that
3: the doctor- Right. So that the front part looks like that, but the it's all connected to this. Um, it literally looks like a bicycle helmet. And that's a whole unit that's oh. basically like a a, a wearable- if you will. Um, So it's pretty neat. So (laughs) we've always had those, but now we have, you know, they're all, all the ones that we had all over the hospital are all on the COVID units by and large. And um, along with the N95 masks. And I think the biggest challenge has just been protocols, really, uh, you know, what do you wear? When do you wear it? um, Making sure that people are donning, the the PPE correctly, making sure that they're doffing, taking off the PPE correctly, um, in the right area, in the right way, and also making sure that people aren't wearing the the PPE in places that they don't need to, like the hallway, or the cafeteria, um, <laughs> you know. or So because you know, there's just there's just I think a lot of. Uh, there's an abundance of caution that is necessary and then in some cases overkill. And so, you know, saying, you know, we, now we have a good supply and we need to take care of it well, you know, so let's not use our uh, surgical caps um, just because, because we need surgical caps in our surgery suites. Uh, And (laughs) so we don't wanna run out of surgical gaps because everyone in the hospital is wearing them everywhere for no good reason. Uh, So things like that.
0: I'm Angela Birdsong and you're listening to Radio Justice Los Angeles. And I have Chaplain Andrea here with me who is telling us about being a frontliner in COVID-19 for this pandemic crisis that is happening. Andrea. Mm-hmm. You said earlier that if a patient tests positive for COVID-19, but they're not, um, they, they don't need to be um, admitted to the hospital, they can go home to quarantine. What if that patient is unhoused or homeless? What do you, what type of resources are there for mm-hmm. for that type of patient that comes to the emergency
3: room? That's a really good question. I am not sure, actually. I can't think of a circumstance right now that that's actually taking place. Um, so I don't know the answer to that. I can't okay. speak to that. Okay, okay. Or,
0: or even a patient who is not homeless on in house, but they live in a crowded situation. Uh, mm-hmm. Are there, you know, resources given to them on how to do that? because i know that's something that uh you know many um places are are mm-hmm. looking at where they don't know where to send people you know even yeah. even workers even workers who who have been exposed and and they you know they have a family at home and their mm-hmm. home isn't that large how do they self quarantine
3: yeah it's it it is difficult uh definitely the recommendation has been um, you know, the recommendations are very uh class specific, right? Because their recommendation is, you know, get alone in one room, um, be the sole user of one bathroom. Well, that's fine if your house has more than two one more than one bathroom. Um, <laughs> but obviously that's not an option <laughs> in a right. home. Where there is only a single bathroom and maybe not that many bedrooms, uh, so it's it's definitely um, I I would you know so we all we do is give them the recommendations and try to suggest ways that they can um, self isolate at home, um, but in terms of you know additional resources or some sort of you know optional housing situation, there's nothing like that, um, and the likelihood is if they're coming into us symptomatic, um, living in a home with several other people, the, the entire household is likely positive. We ask them to, um, you know, to make sure that the rest of the family come in immediately if they start experiencing any symptom. Uh, oftentimes I think we're seeing a lot of people who are coming in late, you know, uh, you know, three or four days into the thing because they didn't, you know, um, they didn't want to come into the hospital. They were hoping that it was something else. You know, the, I mean, I think it's the thing that a lot of people do already uh, when they're sick. They don't necessarily um, run to the emergency room at the first sign of a symptom. So, so yeah, so the likelihood is you, know, you, are, you are contagious um, more so when you're asymptomatic um, you know, once you start showing symptoms, you're probably, you know, on the other end of it or close to, or you know, somewhere in the middle there. So it's, you know, the likelihood that they've likely already exposed everyone in the family is, is, you know, pretty high.
0: I understand now that your your role of support has moved to the doctors and nurses during this this crisis. That all that they're seeing and doing that they're starting to lean on you guys for, for encouragement.
3: So that has not changed, it's just been elevated because definitely I would say at the beginning of the shelter in place and at the beginning of the pandemic, there's just a lot of change and a lot of uh, everyone figuring out, you know, from the top down, from our regional leadership to, you know, our local leadership, and trickling down into each of the units there's been a lot there was a lot of just scrambling and figuring out what are we doing how are we doing it what's changing a lot of things changing from one day to the next sometimes it felt like from one hour to the next um a rule that was in place was now like okay no this is actually what we're going to do uh so you know and that's crazy making that's frustrating that um you know that can can lead to feeling even more insecure because it, it just feels like, okay, does anyone know what we're doing? and I think that that was normal, especially considering that this just happened really fast, you know right um, yeah. in in Los Angeles, we went overnight from um, a regular uh, Monday through Thursday to all of a sudden on Friday being not in a shelter in place it's It's what happened across the state for everybody, uh, not just hospitals, you know. all organizations had to figure out and think on their feet how do we do our work how do we stay afloat how do we do business how do we conduct whatever it is we conduct um so we had the same amount of that at the hospital at every hospital um until we did it until we (laughs) figured it out you know and so there was a lot of staff support a lot of listening a lot of uh you know just being a sounding board and reflecting back um uh, that this was normal it was it was normal to feel the way that we were feeling um and that that was okay and that we were all going to get through this um and that's that that's that's usually the work but it's it's been you know it's been a lot more of the work especially with just um having primarily staff that, um, we're at, that we're working, that we're seen alone most of the time, um, with a, without family members who are in the hospital.
0: Chaplain Andrea Camonota, thank you so much for giving me some of your downtime today. <laughs> <laughs> I really you're appreciate
3: welcome. You. Yes,
0: my friend, and yes. um, um, peace and blessings to you yeah. and your coworkers, and you. and your patients and their families. During this very tough, um, turbulent time that we find ourselves in. Yes, yes. May may there be a way of hope for you guys next week.
3: Yeah, for sure. Thank you so much. It's been a pleasure. Thanks.
0: Oh, you're welcome. This is Angela Birdsong reporting for Radio Justice Los Angeles at (laughs) radiojustice.org. Thank you to photojournalist Desiree James and chaplain Andrea Camarota. Thank you to Leslie Radford, Adam Rice, Michael Washington of M. for the opening and closing theme song. And always you, our RJLA family. I'm Angela Birdsong once again. Thank you for allowing me to share this special experience of conversation peace on Radio Justice LA Morning Wake Up Call with you. Remember to be on guard, stand firm in the faith, be brave, be courageous, and let all that you do be done with love.